This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, y'all? It's Will Cooper, your host, coming back for Field Note Fridays, and we are on part two of this archery hunting preseason series with Corbin Williams, Corbin Archery down in Texas, and we're going to dive down a few rabbit holes. He's going to teach y'all a couple of things, getting ready for the season. It's almost August, and things are about to be in full effect, full swing, and so you don't want to be caught at last minute with problems with your bow and you want to make sure you're fully prepped because that's what we owe to the animal it's due respect and we want to make sure we're doing all we can to make a clean ethical kill and so you can fill your freezer ultimately at the end of the day but nonetheless we got corbin on here to talk about that and y'all if you haven't yet make sure you head on over to either the google play store apple store whatever you're on and if you haven't yet Download the HuntStand app. You can download for free today. And if you like it, you can upgrade to Pro for all 50 states. You get property info, property lines, units, a ton of different layers from monthly satellite imagery, Hunt Zone, which is our wind technology. And you've got a few other things on there as well that can help you be more successful and dial in with what you're doing during the season. But nonetheless, I'm going to quit rambling. And here you go. Here's Corbin Williams on this episode of Field Note Fridays. So, part two. I know we kind of talked about this beforehand is Mm -hmm. you mentioned it in the start is getting reps, getting practice in, but I want to talk about doing more than just flip-flop reps. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got to go and do more than just going in the backyard and cracking a cold one and shooting at 20 yards for 15 or 20 shots. I want you to expand on that for the listener. Uh, so yeah, it, it practice with intent, um, to get better. Um, so I, I'm all about having everybody at my house, like, Hey, let's get the grill going. Let's go out to the barn and let's shoot out and let's shoot distance. Yeah. But if you're like, you're saying, if, if you're not being have practicing with intent, it will hurt you. So you want to know all the mechanics of your bow. So when that bull comes in and you have no clue what his yardage is, but your buddy's ranging him for you and he's screaming in your face 
and you're shooting a two pin site that's on a rover that is a rover site you have to be so in tune with where your pin gaps are and everything else like on that specific type of site when you're practicing that if that bull comes in and is screaming and let's say one of my good buddies he chad sayer he says 30 yards and i draw back and i haven't rovered my site i want to have practiced enough with that site to know that where my 20 yard pin hits at 30. Yeah. I want to know where my second pin hit, even though the tape says it's at 49, where my, if I, where I move it on a bull elk shoulder, where it's going to actually hit if he's at 30 and it said 49, is it better to use my 20 yard pin? Cause I'm using a heavier arrow. And so with the practice, that's what I do. Like I want to know like exactly where all my pins are going to hit at different distances. So I have a life-size elk at my house. Not everybody gets to do that. Um, he set out 121 yards. And so what I'll do is I'll start, like I'll go right up to 20 Yeah. and I'm going to use my 30. I'm going to use my 30 yard pin at 20 and then I'm going to use my 30 yard pin at 40, 50 and 60. And so okay. I'm not just sitting there hanging out with the buddies. Like I, I on those specific sessions like i want to know where my pin's going to hit the, the the so many individuals now are using a dual pin setup or a single pin setup because it's you can get more yardage out of them yeah. um uh, and i personally um it racks my brain when i know the bull is not at my set pins at my at my those two vertical pins mm-hmm. like in my mentally it screws with me like i have to know where everything's out so like in practice where I got to is I would start each of my hunts. Like I knew my 20 and 30 were going to be pretty solid, even with the 511 grain arrow. Yeah. Um, but if I'm shooting a 30 inch draw length at 73 pounds, I don't have much difference, but if you're shooting a 28 inch bow at, you know, let's say 65 to 68, your 20 and 30 may be a four inch gap. And that's the difference between a heart shot, a lung shot and hitting underneath the lungs on an elk. Yeah. And so, you have, that's why I tell you, if you're going to go with the vertical pin, um, make sure in those practice sessions, like we said, don't flip flop, but go out there and actually know where your gaps are going to hit. So like my bow, I set mine, I rover mine down where my top pin set at 30 and my bottom pin actually winds up hitting right over 50. So I'm good from 20 to 60, no doubt. And I'm only going to have to rover if they're at 70, but I know in my mind when I draw back exactly where my pin has to be when he calls out. 37 and a half yards. Yeah. So I, I know exactly where to put my pin. So take the practice. Um, I also tell people, I have a lot of guys that take and they're aiming at the deer all the time, which you would think would make you better at shooting the deer, mm-hmm. but your margin of error is higher. So the bigger the target that you're aiming at, the more pin float you have. So during those practice sessions, Take something other than a deer and aim at like a roofing nail and dial into that and then come back and then mentally not have that nail on that deer and shoot the same group because your pin float naturally is going to be a little bit bigger on a bigger target. Yeah. So try to keep that, that, that nail head quarter size group on that deer at all distances, but go back and then practice on it. Just aiming at the nail head, um, the roofing nail head on like a regular, like a, a morale or a block target, put it on there and aim for that. Heck yeah, Get man. that dialed in. Heck yeah. Okay. I, I, I like that. And you know, I've done, I've kind of done the same thing, like getting those roofing nails or, um, like we'll get a sticky, like those little sticky dots, like you see on like mm-hmm. sales at retail stores and stuff. We'll get those and use those as well. Yep. 
And then I don't know if we're going to this next, but as we're talking about that practice, um, Aaron Snyder and I are good friends and we talk about this all the time. I have, we think the same way. Like we are not about making in our practice sessions. We're not going to necessarily out of a compound bow, tell you to go shoot a fixed blade broadhead to a hundred yards and tell you it's going to be an as accurate as what your field point is. You've got to be Snyder probably can, like I've seen him shoot. It's berserk. But like me, if I'm shooting that far, I can probably get like a two blade, six blade broadhead really accurate out to about 90. And then I have so many errors beyond that. It's not going to be on a nail head group with my field points there. Right. Um, again, I'm not an expert. I'm just your average hunter. Um, when it comes to the shooting side of it, like I just like the fling arrows. Well, I tell people to know what on earth you're going to be shooting and what your mission is during that practice session. So if you're going to shoot a big, heavy arrow, I call them Tinkerbell, Tinker, Tinkerbell arrows, and I, you're you're going to be limited. And your pin gaps are going to be so large, and your arc, believe it or not, um, your arc, your difference in your chains, like, okay, you're shooting 17 yards under a feeder. I'm all for it. Like, blast at them. You know, go super, super heavy. But yeah. you're going on a little deer hunt. And I don't want you shooting a 680 grain arrow, even if it blasts the shoulder. No. Because I want you to be able to shoot 80 yards and feel confident in your shot to slam the deer. Yeah. But I'm also going to tell you that's going to be limited. So in your practice sessions, know what your broadheads are going to do. I have too many guys that like shot the 20 and then go on a hunt and they're saying, well, at, at, at 40 yards, I shot this wide version of this broadhead. And it dropped like this. Oh, well, yeah, no crap, dude. So, like, your drag <laughs> increase. As you go further out, your arrow drag increases. Your speed decreases. And so, what's going to happen? Your drop is going to increase dramatically. So Physics. Um, Physics. Yeah. Just know that stuff. Like, I carry in a – well, now I shoot a Matthews V3X 33. And right now I'm shooting um, that new quiver they have. And it's got – so, it's only got five arrows in it. Yeah. And so, I'll run two – fixed blade broadheads for 80% of my shot scenarios. Yeah. But anytime I'm starting to get out there further, even if I've sighted in my fixed blade broadheads, I carry two ex- or, you know, three expandables in there. But I want to launch a bomb. I don't want any type of wind or anything to increase the drag on that broadhead that I may not have practiced in. Mm-hmm. And I know whether you're shooting a sever or you're shooting a dead meat or whatever you're shooting, it's probably going to have a slightly better flight characteristic, even if your arrow is 100% straight than what the fixed blade is, period. And so I like to take that out. And I'll tell people, if you're going to shoot that far with your broadhead, just like we said with your other arrows, go ahead and make sure you know that it's it's tuned well and it's shooting and you have confidence. Because the second you second guess yourself, you miss a bull out because all you're thinking about is, oh, crap, I didn't side in to 60 yards with this broadhead. That's true. So you get mind screws you again. Big time. Big time. I want to deviate just a second because you're talking <laughs> you're talking about Lincoln logs and, and Tinkerbell arrows. Sorry. No, no. I want I want to yeah. deviate because I, I, I kinda want to come back to that. Cause I know listeners are probably thinking this just like I did, or I just think really weird. But what would you say, in your opinion, being a shop owner and all the things you've seen and the experiences and bows and arrows that you've cut, what would you say is a good range? for that average guy that's 29 inch draw length, 70 pound, 100 grain broadhead up front, what would you say is an ideal range for arrow weight for that setup? 
uh, depending on the mission. So like, you know, we're, we're, we're in Texas, but are, are, we are definitely more of a Western shop. And so I like to see you build a blast through an elk shoulder. And so we're going to be in that 480 range. Um, that is a money maker here. Um, now if I have a guy that comes in here and all that he is going to hunt is whitetail, I'm going to speed his arrow up and tell him you need 24 foot pounds of kinetic energy to blast through a whitetail. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, okay, let's look, maybe still keep it in that 450 range. I'm not, but I'm not going to necessarily build you a berserkly heavy arrow because it's hard to get to the 480 range. Um, but you should be able to shoot an antelope at long distance with that. You should be able to blast through a mule deer a white, and a whitetail and go shoot an elk. So you have a good all-around arrow at that draw length and poundage. Got it. Okay. I like the 450 to 480. I would say 450 to 480, but I'm a big, like a lot of our arrows this year, which we've done, I mean, I don't know what we've done, 12,000 arrows since January alone of custom builds. And a lot of them are in that 470 to 480 range. And it's just money. Oh, and it's fast. We're not pin gapping. You know, uh, I've seen guys in here with big arrow, heavy arrows, and their pin gap from their 20 to the 30, which should not even be a pin gap. Mm -mm. And it's a pin gap. Like, you're like, golly, is that your 50? No, no, that's my 20. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's what a 700, almost a 700 grain, 600 grain arrow is going to do to you. It's going to fall out of the air. It's going to be, it's going to hit hard. It's going to do all that. But within what our mission is for most 90% of our customers, they're wanting to shoot all game animals that 470 to 480 ish range yeah perfect okay it's coming back to the flip-flop reps right okay we've kind of covered like uh what you like to do in your yard what's your viewpoint on guys recommending to guys that you need to shoot with your pack on you need to shoot kneeling down uh (laughs) putting yourself in different scenarios than just standing straight up in the yard yes um, yes, a hundred percent. Like, and we'll, I know that we're going to go into this a little bit, but as you hunt more and you get more of those experiences, mm-hmm. you know, that so rarely like standing up and getting the perfect shot is just not going to happen on my elk hunt last year. I would say 10% of my shots could have been standing up. And then the rest of them, I would have either been kneeling beside a tree because of the angle would have been the better shot and mm-hmm. practicing that. So I do that in the backyard. Um, I'll say backyard out in the pasture though. We like, I even make my wife like, Hey, you're not going to shoot standing up. Like I know more than likely I'm going to have you get on a knee, but there's some guys that they just cannot handle getting to a knee. And so they know they need to practice at maybe different angles on the belt because how often are they perfectly broadside or quartering away? Not very often. No. And so, um, not many people know this. I lost a, a, a bull last year the guy i was hunting with um not even the guy just actually just a buddy has been hunting for 30 plus years and we got on a bull that when we both looked at each other afterwards said oh crap did you see his left side and so he was massive he would have gone we're saying the 470 plus range Um, so he was about five feet from us he jumped out and he went to 70 and my buddy called out 72 yards I was standing up and I had not practiced with a whole bunch of crap in between me and the elk. Mm -hmm. And as you know, out here, it's completely flat. There's no tree branches. There's nothing hanging in between. And so when that bull, basically he was dead away from me, but he turned, he's turned like a quarter of his body looking right back at me. So in my mind, I thought put behind his shoulder. Well, I did. And I went through his shoulder and out the chest. 
And so I got a crap load of meat and a monster bull that literally just kind of looked at us, had some blood come out even, and then kept going and he's still alive. That all being said, the reason that happened is because I had not practiced and I knew where to put the arrow. It should have gone behind his back rib and come up through the chest, but I yeah. put it behind his shoulder because in the moment, a bull that massive, big massive, non-typical, basically two racks off his left side. At 70 yards, he went from five to 70, range called out, put it behind his shoulder and shoot. Well, what happened is I had the bet wrong angle. So as we were saying, practice with your pack on my, my pack was on me. I hadn't practiced that a lot, but also I hadn't practiced with like putting something over the vitals yeah. and then walking dead behind that elk, where if it's a quartering away shot, which I'm, I don't know that Dirk would approve it, but I would probably take that shot 99% of the time. But I need to practice putting it behind the rib, mm-hmm. not behind the shoulder, where it's going to be at an angle where it goes out his chest because he quartered back, he turned his body in half basically towards me. Um, so practice those shots. Like all of our stuff, Barnwell goes and puts the range up at our house. And if you notice, none of our deer are straight. The antelope targets, the deer targets, nothing is straight. It's all at, like some weird, unique angle. And then we have different shooting spots now that we try to shoot from to come comfortable of, okay, that is the only shot I have. I can either be patient and see if he presents a better one, or I can be like the majority of hunters that this is a lifetime, once in a lifetime hunt. I may not get this hunt again. I'm going to put it behind the back rib, get a solid exit and tear everything up in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you're saying, practicing with um, your hiking boots on the actual boots you're going to wear, if you're going to wear your um, out here, it's 110 degrees. I'm usually practicing what, a short sleeve shirt. Yeah. In reality, I'm going to be wearing a whole lot more layers. And it's um, even in the elk hunt, even if it's just like 30 degrees in the morning, it's going to be a little bit cooler. I'm wearing a little bit lighter jacket, but I hadn't been using it before. And it slaps my elbow, it slaps my um, forearm or the, the the puffier jacket there. And I hadn't practiced that way. Well, now I just got like a four inch to the right impact on an elk. Mm-hmm. So I hit liver instead of actually practicing with that jacket, making sure everything's right. And if you're going to use gloves, practicing with the gloves on. Yep. I don't wear gloves ever, so I don't I don't practice with them because I will never wear a glove when shooting. If it's 10 degrees, I'll take my daggum glove off. Grab that bow. might be cold, but just grab it. <laughs> just grab the freaking bow and fling it. Man, I like this. This is all really good advice. Uh, just in, in terms of guys need to hear this when practicing because I think a lot of guys just get too comfortable with going in the backyard and they just do those 20... 20, 30 reps at 20 yards and they drink a couple <laughs> cold ones and they call it good, but yeah, this is all good stuff. All right. There you go, everybody. Hopefully we didn't ruffle too many feathers on this episode of hunt stand podcast field note Fridays part two with Corbin Williams next week. We're going to be getting him on for the final part to this series part three. We're going to finish ruffling some feathers, talk about a few more things to help you get ready for the season. It's almost here y'all, especially you elk hunters, mule deer hunters, you Western guys, you want to make sure you're dialed in because it's nearly time. So again, y'all just want to thank you for your support at hunt stand podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.